everyone, welcome to this episode of the ACB Advocacy Update. I am one of your hosts, Swatha Nanda Kumar, ACB's Advocacy and Outreach Specialist, and joined by Clark Rockfall, ACB's Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs. Thank you for everyone who is tuning in via the ACB Media Network, as well as everyone who is downloading, listening, and streaming via your favorite podcast player. As always, you can find out more information about the American Council of the Blind by visiting our website at acb.org. Great. So, Clark, you want to talk about? We want to talk introduce our topic today. Absolutely, Swatha. We are still recovering from the uh, <laughs> the hybrid ACB conference and convention. Um, and we've got a, a bit of a smorgasbord here for everyone today, a grab bag, if you will. There's been a lot of things that have been happening. So we'd like to take this opportunity to just provide a, a quick update on several topics that we know our members and the broader community of people who are blind and low vision have been following. So we're going to do a, a quick 30-minute podcast here where we just try to share uh, quick updates on several of these items so that everyone knows where we stand, what's going on, and how the fruits of our advocacy efforts are playing out in real time. Yep. First off, we've got the the Uber wait time fee settlement and Department of Justice. Um, so earlier the earlier in the year, um, the DOJ sued Uber for charging wait charging wait time fees for people with disabilities who might take longer to find their car or get in their car because of disability, and um, that 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 can take longer than two than two minutes. A lot of two minute two minute two minute time period for getting in getting in the car where it allows um and they usually argued that this was discriminatory against people with disabilities because you need more time to find cars and stuff so so swatha why why might it take some acb members more than the allotted two minutes of a an app notification saying your driver has arrived and folks being able to get into the vehicle and start their ride well and at least in my case, I mean, you don't, you might not know which car is yours or which car. Like, if if it's if, if it's if it's a silver Honda Civic, you're not gonna you're not gonna know what silver it is, or you might not find the Honda Civic or know what that is looks like. Um, or or you might not even see, see the car at all. So, I mean, you're gonna have to call your driver and find out where they are, and they're gonna have to find you, and then it just creates a whole um mess of like, yeah. So. Just takes longer because of that. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. I don't know how many times it I've messaged the driver saying I'm here. They've messaged back saying that they have also arrived or that they're here. And you try to call them, but maybe they don't answer. So there's any number of reasons why it could be difficult for people who are blind, people who who are low vision uh, to find a ride share. And certainly if folks have multiple disabilities, um, those issues would be compounded as well. Mm-hmm. So, as of Ju- like late, late July, Uber settled 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 with the DOJ. Um, 
and they've agreed to create a waiver waiver program for people with disabilities who certified that they do have disability um, or they drive with someone who frequently or ride frequently with someone who has a disability. And um, they also agreed to face some damages to people who have been wrong, wrongfully charged wait time fees for, because of their disability and trying to make a car against the car. So. And, and Swatha, this is great news for people with disabilities so that they are not uh, erroneously charged extra for their disability and taking advantage of rideshare services. But what about folks who are denied be- service because of their guide dog? Um, what what sort of information, is there any new information related to service animal denials by rideshares? Yeah, so the DOJ has the DOJ has asked our members and uh, people who have been denied because of the service dog to file a complaint with against Uber with the DOJ, along with um, filing in the app in the Uber app by itself. So, not not only Uber, Lyft is, Lyft as well, but Uber is good now. Yeah, any rideshare service, right? Um, yep. they're, they're all equal opportunity offenders when it comes to <laughs> denying people with service animals. Uh, but the, the point that the Department of Justice is making is that they don't receive those complaints. So folks can go to ADA.gov and file uh, these service animal uh, service denials so that the Department of Justice uh Office of Civil Rights or Civil Rights Section has a record of these complaints as well. I know our folks are diligent about doing this within applications and directly to rideshare providers, uh, but we need to go that one extra step and ensure that the Department of Justice is aware of uh, this ongoing issue. Mm-hmm. And we can we will include the link to do so in the show notes. So, absolutely. So, to our next topic uh, at the annual conference and convention, we were joined by a representative from National Institutes on Health to talk about the work that's being done to make uh, at-home COVID tests more accessible. And that session was made available as an advocacy update podcast in mid-July. Oh, there's been some additional developments that have happened here along the way. Uh, So for folks who would like to order accessible or the more accessible COVID tests, uh, you can no longer do this online because the, the demand for the tests were increasing, spiking, Uh, rather dramatically. Uh, So the federal government has now, is now making the more accessible at-home COVID tests available by phone only. Uh, The phone numbers to do this are available at covidtest.gov, but using the phone number there, again, not being able to use the, uh, the online form or the Administration on Community Living's um, Disability Access and Information Line, or DIAL. And we'll be sure to include that phone number in the notes for the podcast as well. In addition to 
being able to order these more accessible tests by phone. Uh, the Administration on Community Living has also made available supplemental instructions because in the Illum COVID testing smartphone application, there are step-by-step -step instructions in a video for administering the test, um, but it doesn't go necessarily into the detail that somebody who's blind or somebody who's low vision uh, will need to be able to correctly and quickly identify the different testing components. So you know what you should be opening, uh, how you should be orienting it so that you're not contaminating the equipment or the sample, and then you're well positioned and well prepared to conduct the test, again, using the step-by-step -step instructions that are included in uh, the smartphone application as well. So another link to be provided, uh, this was included in Dots and Dashes, the ACB newsletter that comes out every two weeks, but we wanna make sure as many people know about these new supplemental instructions and have the phone numbers to be able to order tests so that folks can feel safe and protected and confident that they've not been exposed to or that they won't, uh, they'll be able to take precautions as to not uh, expose others to the COVID-19 virus. Mm -hmm. So next up we have an action, action, action alert from ACB regarding web access and a letter that um, Representative Sarvanes um, has put out. Um, so this letter would um, be addressed to Attorney General Merrick Garland at the DOJ, and it would um, urge the DOJ to promulgate regu regulations regarding website and mobile application accessibility. Something something's very important to us. Something we're working on for almost a year now. Um, and this this follows the Senate letter um back in July, I believe it was in July. Um. And follows the 181 disability organization signed letter to the DOJ um, back in March. So please urge your representative to co-sign the letter from from, from Sarbanes and um either by phone or through email. And um, we will include the letter and the link to find our contact information on in the, in the notes as well. Oh, and um, there are there are several representatives that have already signed on, including Tybus, Langovin, um, and others. And if you are in one of those districts, please call them, thank them for, for the support. That's right, Swatha. And this is tied into one of our legislative imperatives for the year. We are still uh, working with our partners on uh, draft legislative language to require the accessibility of websites, mobile applications, and online services. But Ed, as you stated, 
this is a, a regulatory approach. This is a multiple pronged effort of both legislation and regulation. So as Swatha said, senators led by Senator Schatz in July urged the Department of Justice to move forward on ADA, Title II, and Title III rulemakings, senators led by Senator Duckworth in June submitted a, a very similar letter to this one being now led by Representative Sarbanes, um, again, calling on the DOJ to move forward on Title II and Title III ADA regulations. And then as Swatha noted, ACB and many of our affiliates and partner organizations joined that letter of over 180 disability rights organizations urging the Department of Justice to move forward with Title II and Title III rulemakings before the end of the current Biden administration. So this sign-on letter, this is not for individuals. This is not for organizations or affiliates. This is for members of Congress only. So we need our affiliates, we need our members to contact their representatives. Let them know that you as a constituent and that you on behalf of all people who are blind in your state or on behalf of your state affiliate, want them to co-sign this letter by Representative Sarbanes urging the Department of Justice to move forward with Americans with Disabilities Act rulemakings for both Title II and Title III regarding websites, mobile applications, and the accessibility of online services. Mm -hmm. It's important that we have, that we create a good showing of this letter because we need to make sure that the DOJ knows it's an important, important issue, important to us, important to our, our members. So make sure you do this. Exactly. And there's no reason we shouldn't have a good showing, right? We're, we're going to keep this letter. Uh, we're going to ask that this letter stay open for all of the August recess so that we and our members and our partners have time to contact their members of Congress and urge them to sign on. You know, we had 180 organizations sign that letter back at the end of February. Uh, there's no reason we shouldn't have over 100 representatives. You know, you figure 180 organizations, if they each have 180 different members of Congress, all of them should be co-signers of this Sarbanes letter to the Department of Justice. So let's go, folks. Let's get after it. Mm -hmm. All right. Clark, next one up. Uh, Swath, I think the next one is you, and we'll be talking about the... Uh, the new order that came out of the Ability One Commission regarding the payment of subminimum wages. All right, yeah, I did completely that did that one. Um, so the Ability One Commission, the agency that is the that um covers national industry for blind towards America, um, that um commission has recently published a new rule um, prohibiting the payment of, sub, of subminimum wages under 14, under 14 certificates 
to new and continuing contracts under the under the program. So people who are blind or severely disabled um, will now be making or under contracts we required to make, required to be paid the minimum wage or the highest wage in the in the area. So state the uh, state wage or whatever wage is highest. And this rule takes effect in October, and it applies to new contracts and extensions on existing contracts. Yeah, and th this is a great step forward for the employment of people who are disabled. Uh, it's it's been geez, nine, close to 90 years, 80, 90 years that it's been legal in the United States to pay people with disabilities less than the federal minimum wage. I think this made, uh, I think this made sense when we were coming out of the Great Depression back in the 1930s, um, but also the perception of the capabilities and abilities of people with disabilities was dramatically different then than it is now. So I, I think it's very appropriate that a federal program with the mission to provide employment opportunities uh, for people with disabilities makes this change to modernize the program and ensure that the value and the contributions of people with disabilities uh, are appropriately recognized and compensated. Mm -hmm. It's important that the work recognized as important work. So it's great, great, great step in that direction. Yes, uh, and there, there's been a, a bunch of other stuff coming out of the administration. Uh, sometimes hard to keep keep tabs on it, but one that we know that is important to ACB and our members, and that's the, the guidance from the Department of Justice as well as the Department on Health and Human Services related to uh, disability discrimination and accessibility in telehealth. So DOJ and the HHS uh, issued new guidance, or excuse me, they issued guidance last week reminding covered entities, doctor's offices, hospitals, healthcare providers, so on and so on, about their obligations to provide accessible services and accommodations and ensure effective communication for people with disabilities utilizing telehealth services. Um, it's, not, it's not any one law that covers or that requires um, accessibility and non-discrimination in telehealth. There's Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act. There's the Americans with Disabilities Act. There's uh, Title VI of the Civil Rights Act and Section 1557 of the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act. So whether it's identifying and scheduling telehealth appointments, sharing information and receiving information in text and audio and video formats 
from your doctor or service provider, uh, or being able to follow up with billing and insurance information. All of this needs to be provided in accessible formats for people with disabilities. So this is really exciting news for ACB and our members, uh, many folks who we've heard of that their, their electronic health records or patient portals are inaccessible or their doctor is sharing follow-up information in an inaccessible format or their billing information is not accessible. Uh, so we are, we're, again, very excited by this, this update in guidance. And again, it's, it's guidance, right? Th these are not new requirements. This is the Department of Justice and Health and Human Services clearly stating what is required and what uh, healthcare providers and covered entities should be doing and should have been doing all, all along. Uh, Swatha, another link for us to include in the podcast notes. These, these are gonna be some long notes. Yeah. Um, so, and the the topic of accessible healthcare and accessible health and wellness is directly tied into the work of ACB's Get Up and Get Moving campaign. So, we're very excited that the Department of Justice and again HHS are making it clear that our members have a right to accessible telehealth. But we also want to make sure that folks are able to independently manage and uh, take care of themselves you know, before acquiring you know, chronic or comorbid health conditions. I, ideally, folks can spend as little time on telehealth as absolutely necessary, right? And we know that a, a great way to minimize uh, health complications is to be active, physically active. So at our convention, we had an announcement that uh, a fitness and exercise manufacturer, Concept2, has updated their smartphone application called ERG Data, that's E-R-G-D-A-T-A. And this smartphone app allows uh, voice guidance. Uh, it works with you know, voiceover and talk back on Apple and Android smartphones. Uh, it allows individuals with disabilities who might not be able to use the monitor included on the equipment hardware to be able to use the smartphone app to program that hardware, to set workouts, um, to be able to complete those workouts. And then during the workouts have audible feedback on what they're doing and how long they've been doing it. So you can track your time, your distance, um, your speed, your calories, your heart rate. And then at the conclusion of your workout, you can uh, save this data so that you, can, you have a record, you can see what you did when, track your progress over time uh, so that you can get a, a sense of the, the progress that you're making or where, where you should do better. Um, so we're really excited that this is a, another step forward in making exercise and fitness equipment more accessible. And that's not all. 
Uh, folks who are longtime listeners of the Advocacy Update podcast know that ACB, a couple of years ago now, in June of 2020, worked with Peloton Interactive to bring the Google Talkback screen reader to the Peloton bike. Well, just this week, uh, we have an announcement from Peloton that through collaboration with the American Council of the Blind, the Google Talkback screen reader is now available on the Peloton Tread, their treadmill as well. And we're excited that our several of our ACB members in, in the New York City area were able to provide user testing and feedback and that we've been able to, to work with Peloton to increase the accessibility of their products and services to make them available for as many folks who are blind and low vision as possible. So this is a, a, a again, much like web access, a multi-pronged effort of direct outreach to equipment manufacturers, working with the Coalition for Inclusive Fitness to impress on uh, gym and fitness facility providers that they should be purchasing and re requiring manufacturers to make their products accessible. And we had that announcement with Planet Fitness last year. We're working with, with more facility providers and hopefully that these announcements from Concept2 and from Peloton make that work even easier because they can see that these products are becoming available in the market. So it makes it a lot easier to tell them that this is what you should be purchasing. It's a lot harder when we tell them that they, they should only be purchasing accessible products, but there's nothing in the market to date. Uh, so we're excited to see this these steps forward by industry, uh, but it's also something that another legislative imperative. We're supporting the Exercise and Fitness for All Act. We think that there should be federal requirements for all exercise and fitness equipment to be made accessible. So we, we will keep pushing forward in this area, but we're also excited uh, to recognize progress when progress is being made. Mm -hmm. All right, Swatha, so we, we've provided updates on the uh, Uber settlement with the Department of Justice regarding um, rideshare excessive wait times and charges for people with disabilities, the elimination of uh, the payment of sub-minimum wages from the Ability One program. We've talked about updates to the more accessible COVID-19 tests being provided by the federal government, both how to get them and what additional information is available. Uh, we've covered the Representative Sarbanes uh, congressional sign-on letter that we're urging everyone to contact their member of Congress to have them co-sign this letter from Representative Sarbanes to the Department of Justice. And we've talked about some updates to uh, accessible telehealth guidance from the Department of Justice and Health and Human Services, as well as some accessibility enhancements being made by fitness manufacturers, Concept2 and Peloton. Did I miss anything? 
I don't think you, I think you, I think you nailed it. I think you got it all. Awesome. Well, it's bound to get it right every once in a while. Yes. So, lots of stuff happening here post-convention. Uh, the Congress might be taking an August recess, but Swatha and I and ACV's advocacy work, we are we are not. Uh, we're going to keep keep pushing these issues forward. Uh, so Swatha, anything else you want to add here before we sign off for another advocacy update? Again, we will include we will include all these links and all this information in our show notes. So keep informed, and we'll also have it on our list as well. So informed. And if folks have any additional questions, you can reach out to Swatha and me by emailing advocacy at acb.org. And we urge everyone to keep advocating.